Hello, you're listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode is to mark the first birthday of steel and aluminium tariffs. We're going to look at some cutting edge research that asks who is paying for them? Turns out, answering that question is complicated. And to decomplicate things, we're going to talk about two new studies. Each of them has gone out and estimated the economic effects of President Trump's tariffs. These two pieces of research were done by two teams. We'll talk with David Weinstein from Columbia University about the work of his team. And we'll also speak with Amit Kandelwal of Columbia Business School about the work of his team. But before we start, I want to do a quick advertisement. Trade Talks has created a new website where listeners can find old episodes and material related to the podcast. Check us out at www.tradetalkspodcast.com. And we've also come up with another way of staying in touch. It's this revolutionary thing called email. Send along your ideas to email at tradetalkspodcast.com. That is email at tradetalkspodcast.com. Chad, there are no underscores in that. I don't think they allow underscores in emails and and websites. Mm. But I agree. It's very confusing. A year ago, on March 23rd, 2018, President Donald Trump put tariffs on about a third of American steel imports and 45% of aluminium imports. On June 1st, he whacked the rest with trade restrictions. Foreigners retaliated, there were tariffs on steel and aluminium, but also a whole other host of products. And the trade restrictions in the first place, the ones on steel and aluminium, they were supposed to restrict the supply of metals coming in from overseas. That was supposed to lift the domestic price and help out domestic producers. I went out and looked at the most recently available monthly trade data, It turns out volumes of steel imports are down, as are aluminum imports as well. Prices of both of these products have gone up, as you would expect. And U.S. steel production and primary aluminum production are both up too. If the steel industry is doing well because of the tariffs, then it's not too much of a surprise. The tariffs were supposed to help them very directly. And the argument all along has been that, yes, some of the folks making these metals might benefit from all these tariffs. But the rest of the U.S. economy matters, too. And then the academic question is, who is actually paying for all these tariffs? Tariffs are taxes. And so ultimately, this is a question about tax incidents or who actually bears the burden of these tariffs when trade happens, even though there are these tariffs on. This is complicated because it's not necessarily the case that the person paying the U.S. Treasury, the tariff, is actually paying the whole tariff. Because it could be that the price they're paying of the product is itself affected by the tariff. If the tariff has driven the price of the product down, then the consumer might not pay the whole amount of the tariff. The producer might pay some of it too because they're getting less for their product. Now, President Trump has made clear that he thinks the foreigners are the ones who are going to end up paying for all these tariffs. When people or countries come in to raid the great wealth of our nation, I want them to pay for the privilege of doing so. On Twitter, President Trump has got rather a lot of flack for these sorts of statements. But in theory, he could be right. Suppose the United States puts a tariff on incoming steel, 
and also that the U.S. has huge market power that makes people everywhere start to freak out. They need the U.S. as a buyer of their steel. There just isn't enough demand out there in the rest of the world to make up for the shortfall. And so they offer to sell their steel into the American market at a lower price just to stay in. In that case, it's the exporter that's really paying the tariff. They're getting screwed because they're getting a lower price than they would have done without the tariff. And even though the U.S. buyer is technically paying the tariff, the price they face might not go up. But in the economics of this, the other extreme could be true. It could be that these foreign sellers of steel have plenty of other options. In that case, if American buyers wanted the steel, it's them who would have to suck up the cost of the tariff. I'm going to add a massive caveat here in in all this analysis, which is that, that we're going to ignore exchange rate movements. With that caveat out of the way, let's talk about these two recent studies that have looked into the question of who is paying for President Trump's tariffs. Is it the foreign exporters through lowering their prices, or is it the American importers who still need to buy this stuff from overseas? The first study we're going to talk about is by Mary Amiti, Stephen Redding, and David Weinstein. Here's David on the answer to this question of who pays the tariff. Well, one of the big surprises of our paper was that it was American consumers or the firms that import the steel that are bearing the full cost of the tariffs. So when the U.S. imposed these tariffs on the various steel exporting nations, we saw that those nations didn't drop their prices in response to the tariffs. Rather, they passed on the full cost of those tariffs to the purchasers of these imports. So although President Trump could have been right in theory, in practice, he's actually been wrong on this one. Obviously, there's much more to these bits of research than than just that result. One question Team David looked at is, is whether the tariffs on steel and aluminium were different to the other tariffs that were imposed in 2018. Were the tariffs on Chinese imports any different? No. Each of the six waves of tariffs that we imposed in 2018 seems to look very similar to each other. We see the steel and aluminum tariff pass-through rates look almost the same as uh, those of other goods. And David's team also put that in the context of overall U.S. goods imports. We find that U.S. imports in targeted sectors fell by about $136 billion relative to untargeted sectors. So that's about... 5% of U.S. merchandise imports. So that suggests that there's there's been really big impacts on the U.S. supply chain network because firms are now scrambling to find new sources of supply for these different types of products. They also find the variety of imports bought by American consumers goes down. One of the other impacts that we've seen is that many of these tariffs are effectively prohibitive. U.S. firms stop buying that steel and they may start to buy lower quality steel that is not being targeted by these tariffs or potentially lower quality steel from domestic suppliers. And that imposes real costs on the firms and households that purchase products made with that steel because maybe that steel will start rusting more quickly or that steel will not have the same strength as the steel that was originally being purchased. And although those, those, those costs are somewhat harder to measure, they can be substantial. 
These trade restrictions amount to cuts in supply, and one would expect prices to rise. U.S. producers use intermediate inputs like steel or like aluminum or solar panels. And when we impose those tariffs on those, those intermediate inputs, uh, U.S. producers lose competitiveness because their costs go up, and those higher costs are passed on to consumers in the form of, of higher prices. We also see a second channel operational in the data, and that is a channel that is related to higher markups being charged by U.S. firms. If U.S. firms no longer have to compete with foreign exporters because the foreign exporters are facing high tariffs, then that enables them to raise prices. And we see both of those channels operational uh, in the U.S. Producer prices have risen by around 1.1% as a result of these tariffs. So that's a fairly substantial increase. It's about equal to half of the increase in a typical year. David's team went further and calculated the overall effect of the tariffs on the U.S. economy so far. Right now, we've analyzed the data through November of last year, and we find that you know the last months of the year in which we see most of the tariffs in place, we're seeing these losses rising by about $1.4 billion each month. If you think that what success would mean would be to reverse, say, the last 10 years of lost jobs in the steel and aluminum industry. We get an estimate that roughly, in a really good case scenario, we might be able to restore around 35,000 manufacturing jobs. If you then calculate the cost per job saved, you find out that we'd be saving these jobs at a cost of about $200,000 per job saved, the typical steel worker earns just over $50,000 per year. So another way of thinking about that is that if we had just, just created a program to pay out those workers what their salary was, instead of doing the protection, we would have saved about $140,000 per job. So this is a very inefficient way of creating jobs in the United States. $140,000 per job is is a lot of money. And I should also say that this isn't, you know, a job being created out of nowhere by, you know, paying a check. This is a reallocation of resources around the economy in in not a particularly efficient way. Who knows though? Maybe the president cares so much about the workers in these sectors that that he thinks it's worth it. Let's dive now into what the other paper said. And this one was by Petty Goldberg Pablo Feigelbaum, Patrick Kennedy, and Amit Kandelwal. And we got Amit to tell us all about it. Amit and his team start by asking a very similar question, but using a very different methodology. But to quickly sum up, they find very similar results to all the questions we asked David, including that part about the U.S. consumers being the ones that were paying for the tariffs. They also look at the effects of these tariffs by geography. So how are different places in the United States being affected by these tariffs? And they also look at the tariffs that other countries imposed in retaliation to the Trump administration's tariffs. One of their questions was whether these tariffs were imposed strategically. Here's a meet. The tariffs may be used as a way to, to protect particular sets of, of voters. 
and there's a long tradition in in the literature thinking about trade policy that that suggests that a policymaker may be trying to use tariffs as a way to to influence votes for for his or her own campaign or his or her own party. We asked the meet how they figured out the economic exposure of different places to the tariffs. He gave us an example. All right, so so you can you can take a county like Trumbull County, Ohio, which is in the northeast part of of Ohio, about about an hour east from from Cleveland. So so Trumbull County has a bunch of workers employed in different sectors, various types of manufacturing, retail, construction, agriculture, restaurants, and, and, and so on. And so what you can do is you can figure out how many people are working in different in different sectors. And it, it happens to be the case that Trumbull County has a large concentration of workers that are in both the steel manufacturing sector as well as the motor parts vehicle sector. The workers in the in the steel sector who reside in that county are going to benefit from the direct tariffs that the administration has imposed on steel, but the residents who are working in the motor vehicle parts sector are likely to be harmed by by these tariffs, in part because steel may be used as an input into the production of motor vehicle parts. In addition, all the residents in this county may be, may be faced with higher prices of goods as a result of the tariffs. And so what you can do is you can take an aggregation of the different people who work in different sectors to construct a measure of county exposure that depends in part on the sectors who are directly benefiting by the protection of the tariffs, the sectors that may be indirectly harmed by the tariffs because they may be using the the products that are hit by tariffs as, as intermediate components, as well as the fact that prices on of, of all goods or of, of many goods might be going up and that's going to harm people in, for instance, who work in retail the residents who who work in in retail might be facing higher prices as a result of the tariffs. We asked where was being helped by these tariffs and where was being hit. What we find is that that the counties that are kind of most protected by the tariffs, meaning that the tariffs protect the sectors that that are produced in those counties, tend to be concentrated in in what's known as the Rust Belt in the United States. And and those are states like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, but also some parts of, of New Hampshire, a little bit of up, upstate New York, as well as North Carolina and, and Virginia. And these are counties or regions that are fairly intensive in, in the production of manufacturing goods. The foreign retaliation patterns actually look very different. So it, it appears that the foreign retaliations were, were concentrated in, in the Midwestern Plains, again, places like Iowa, North and South Dakota and Nebraska. And, and these, are, these are sectors that, that tend to be very heavily concentrated in, in agriculture. Their research involved combining information on things like prices and wages with what they knew about workers in those regions. He explained, using the example of Allegheny County, which is an area around the city of Pittsburgh, a historically big steel-producing region. So what we find is that if you're a steel worker in Allegheny County, for instance, it could be the case that because your company is now being protected by the steel tariffs, your 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 wages may 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 be rising as a result of that. But what we find is that on average, the prices of the goods that you're likely to be consuming is going up by just a little bit more. So what we find is that for for basically every county in the U.S., this difference between the 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 potential increase in your wage or the actual increase in your wage and 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 the prices of your paying paying for for products, which economists often call a, a real wage, is is falling. We find like concentrated losses in, in Midwestern Plain states and, and, and kind of mountain west areas. So these are again places like Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, and, and, and Nebraska. And these are being hurt by by two forces. So one force is the fact that there have been foreign foreign retaliations on, on the products that, that these areas produce, as well as the fact that the overall price level 
of tariff has increased, making making the products that people consume overall more expensive. So although it does look like some folks are benefiting from these tariffs, it looks like people's purchasing power overall has gone down. And, and there are two forces at work here. The foreign retaliation hurts the people who had previously been exporting, and also the price of inputs has gone up, which makes stuff more expensive to buy at home. The other big thing that this paper does is to look at American voters. The goal there is to see if there's a connection between all of these tariffs and the way Americans vote. It could have been that in imposing these tariffs, President Donald Trump was trying to influence the next election. Maybe he was trying to influence politically competitive counties where it's, where it's really tight between Democrats and Republicans and, and the results could go either way. So what we find is that the county level protection is highest in the politically competitive counties. And, and what we mean by politically competitive counties are counties that had a roughly 40 to 60 percent Republican vote share in, in the 2016 election. So these are counties that are neither really Republican leaning or very Democrat leaning counties. We also asked to meet what the foreigners were trying to do and whether they were also trying to hit the voters in these swing counties. What we find is that the foreign retaliation was concentrated in heavily Republican counties, but these are also counties that tend to to, to specialize in, in agriculture. And so it could be that that because the U.S. is a net exporter of agriculture, this was a constraint on what the Chinese retaliations could target. But we do notice a very strong pattern in which very Republican-leaning counties are appear to have relatively high levels of retaliation. When you take into consideration both the pattern of import protection and the pattern of retaliation, what we find is that the heavily Republican counties are the ones that, that bore the brunt of this trade war. Finally, we asked to meet how we should think about both the overall and distributional impact of all these tariffs. Team Amit's methodology and time frame is different enough from Team David that it's not quite comparing apples and apples to that earlier study. But what he told us is interesting, and especially what they learned about the distributional impact of the tariffs across the United States. The overall impact of the trade war we find to be at $7.8 billion, which appears small to many. It's like 0.04% of GDP. But that small aggregate loss kind of masks fairly large distributional consequences. So, And there's two forms of distributional consequences that we highlight in the paper. So one is that there's a big transfer that's going from the purchasers of imported goods to, to, to the producers of, of, domestic, of, of domestic products. And so those tend to be pretty sizable. And then the second form of distributional consequences that we highlight in the paper is across, across regions or across counties in the U.S. And so this is a point that has been made in, by many others before, including, including, say, Danny Roderick, who's argued, at least on, on the other side, when you think about a trade liberalization, you often seen, see small overall, overall benefits to economies, but large distributional consequences. And, and here we're, we're finding kind of the flip side. So when there's, a, uh, when there's an increase in, in tariff protection, we find a small, you know, a small aggregate loss, but, but there are distributional consequences, which appear to be sizable. A lot of interesting results here, and I would encourage listeners to go and read the papers. We should also say that both Team David and Team Amit made clear that their estimates refer to short-run results. American consumers are facing higher prices, and so we're bearing the cost of the tariffs so far, but that could change over time. That is all for Trade Talks. Thanks to all the great economists whose research we talked about this week. From Team David, thanks to David Weinstein at Columbia and his co-authors Mary Amiti at the New York Fed and Stephen Redding at Princeton. 
and from Team Amit, thanks to Amit Kandelwal at Columbia Business School, as well as his co-authors Penny Goldberg at the World Bank, Pablo Feigelbaum at UCLA, and Patrick Kennedy at Berkeley. And at Peterson, a huge thanks to Jeremy Cohen-Setton for looking at this tariff pass-through question with me. And thanks also to Ava Zhang and Jin Young for helping us pull together some of the underlying data. And as always, a big thank you to Colin Warren, our audio guy. Again, make sure to check out our brand new website, www.tradetalkspodcast.com, and send us email suggestions at email at tradetalkspodcast.com. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bound. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to econometric studies of the impact of President Trump's tariffs, two is better than one. I'm just going to leave listeners with a plug for a long written piece I have in The Economist this week about the status of women in economics. I will be tweeting it out. And if you were starved of a podcast from last week, then you can listen to the Money Talks podcast, where I also talk about the same topic. And we'll tweet that one out from the Trade Talks podcast feed as well. And finally, really finally this time, a huge thank you to my choir, the 18th Street Singers. One year.